Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 636, with Chef Kaiser Lashkari. Prepare using ingredients which are substandard, you will end up with a substandard product, and that's what you don't want to do. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. When your employees are empowered to speak up internally, you can stay one step ahead of costly issues that can tarnish your brand before they become larger public problems. Ethics Suite is the first employee incident reporting platform developed to be fully customizable for every industry, including the restaurant industry. Unethical workplace behavior is a threat. It's time to protect your business with an incident reporting system. Find out why Ethics Suite is the leading anonymous reporting system for the restaurant industry at ethicsuite.com slash restaurant unstoppable everybody loves payday am i right but loving your payroll provider that's a different story it's a little weird still small businesses across the country love running payroll with gusto gusto automatically files and pays your taxes it's super easy to use and you can add benefits and hr support to help take care of your team and keep your business safe it's loyal it's modern and who knows you might even fall in love to learn more head over to gusto.com slash unstoppable and when you run your first payroll you'll get your first three months free again that's gusto.com slash unstoppable it doesn't get easier than cake cake is the point of sale built for restaurants that's easy to set up and use with cloud-based access from any device 24 7 customer support and a lifetime access to cake university how could you not love cake to learn more about cake point of sale head over to trycake.com slash unstoppable and because you're a restaurant unstoppable listener you will save 750 dollars off activation again that's trycake.com slash unstoppable with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest kaiser lashkari kaiser my man are you feeling unstoppable today absolutely is there any other way in this business Uh, there is no other way sir that is correct Originating from Pakistan, Chef Kaiser Lashkari had an early aspiration of becoming a doctor until he had a run-in with some goat meat in a spice rack. This experience sparked a new dream of moving to America to open a restaurant. Chef Kaiser made the move to the States and received his master's degree from Hilton College of Hotel and Restaurant Management in 1989 before opening Himalaya Restaurant and Catering. Chef Kaiser was a James Beard semifinalist in 2019, and Himalaya was rated number nine in the Houston's in Houston's Chronicle in the Houston Chronicles top 100 Houston restaurants list and has placed in the top 15 in previous years chef Kaiser I cannot wait to get your story to dive out dive into who you are and how you got to where you are today but let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling sure. with a success quote or mantra what do you got for us the successful mantra yes please the successful mantra is There is no shortcut. There are no shortcuts in life. The only shortcuts are when you use the freeway. Mm. You have to... uh, Cooking is a labor of love. You have to have uh, detailed labor-oriented processes to prepare good quality food. And the minute you take shortcuts... You are messing up your food with a capital F. Oh, I love it. And, you know, there seems to be a trend these days, something that I picked up on, that... 
you see all these these consultants out there, all these experts out there, uh, promising the 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 tricks, the 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 system hacks, the you know the the shortcut, right? The like 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 you just said, there is no shortcut. There's just hard work and showing up every day and doing it right and having those standards. So when I hear these people saying they have like the next secret, it just makes my skin crawl. What do you th- What are your thoughts on that? It it always compromises on the quality of the final product. That being said, a uh, few important things that that give you a good product is good ingredients. Number one, and good ingredients is is also very tricky because there is a there is a game with the vendors also the vendors sometimes will try to slip up something which is not according to your spec and therefore in the uh, uh, Indian and Pakistani uh, restaurant business whenever you receive um, the product or or, or you, you, you get your supplies and you check it Everybody is guilty till you are proven innocent, which means you have to check each and everything, and make sure that it's come to your it's it's uh, according to your spec. If it. not, then then you will if you you come if you um, prepare uh, using ingredients which are substandard, you will end up with a substandard product, and that's what you don't want to do. So, how do you what what things do you do in your businesses to this day to make sure? that you are meeting expectations and meeting standards? Are there checks and balances that you implement? Are there it's very you- simple. It's very simple. Each and every single order from 11.30 in the morning till 10 o'clock at night, every single order, dine-in or take-out, we taste and we check. Because there are no standardized recipes in Indian or Pakistani cuisine. You have to... Uh, you have to kind of uh, uh, what would you call um, adjust you have to adjust uh, you know your cooking procedures your cooking techniques depending on suppose you get you're making goat curry and the goat that you that you receive is very hard to cook if it's very hard to cook you have to cook it longer time if you cook it with spices at a certain stage if you keep on cooking it, the spices kind of lose their efficacy. And therefore, you have to add more spices, which will in turn turn the, turn the sauce that you are making very dark. And nobody wants to eat a dark colored sauce. So there are different stages and different tweaks that, are, that have to be used in order to come to a, to a great quality product. If somebody has slipped in, uh, some some sort of cinnamon which doesn't give the the full effect of cinnamon, then you have to add more cinnamon. Same thing with cumin, coriander, you know, all the dry spices. Therefore, each and every single order that goes out may or may not have to be adjusted depending on the ingredients you got. But this is what gives you extraordinary success. I mean, it is one thing to be following a single recipe in a certain way and making sure that it's followed religiously according to the way you've, you've uh, come up with the, you've created the recipe. It's another thing to make sure that it's, it, it even tastes good and it, 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 is, uh, to, it is visually good to look at and it's, it's, it has the aroma 
you 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 first you eat with your nose then your eyes and then with your mouth you don't you don't just eat you put put everything in your mouth and eat it because it has to smell good then it has to look good and then it has to taste good so what i'm picking out from you um, the original question was how do we make sure these specs are consistent um, and how do we maintain these specs that you've set for yourself you said you, you're always tasting it you're always making sure it's going out it doesn't go through the pass without being tasted first and i yeah. think the other thing that you kind of alluded to was ordering consistency uh making sure the, that the if you're ordering meat that the meat is as consistent as possible because if that meat's consistent then the cooking process is going to be consistent correct um awesome stuff and that was just stemmed off of the success quote we haven't even yes. started your story yet okay. i can't wait to dive in so uh you started off um as a a, a student uh, studying medicine, medicine yes yes a slight correction to what you said uh, my parents I'm the only child of my parents and okay. my parents wanted me to be a doctor okay and I finished three years of med- medicine in Pakistan two years short of becoming a full-fledged medical doctor it's then that I decided that this was not for me so you never really had the aspiration you were doing what you were supposed to do I did have a slight aspiration and, and it was more encouragement from from my parents because in the 80s and even to, till today it's the is the thing to do in India and Pakistan is to either become a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer but anything apart from these three professions you're not uh, it's not considered prestigious. It's very common in Eastern cultures that, that you know, you come to the States or, or anywhere, um, you're getting the education that you go to be one of those things, an engineer, doctor, or whatever. Um, what did you say to your parents when you told them that you wanted to, to be a chef? How did they handle they, that? They freaked out. They said, you will, I am going to destroy my, my career. I will not be able to make a decent living. Nobody will give their hand of their daughter to me in marriage. Uh, all kinds of uh, all, all kinds of negatives uh, uh, plus emotional blackmail uh, which is which is okay because that's that's a part of our culture it, it's from where I come but in the 80s it was a pretty bold step I surprised myself I said no I'm going to put my foot down and I'm going to I'm going to do it and I'm going to be in pursuit of a different different career path how did you get over this um this internally I mean I'm sure you must have been it must have hurt on the inside to know you're letting down your parents how did you get over that internally to, to press on and do what was what felt right in your heart to keep I kept my nose to the grind the, and bit by bit uh, semester by semester <clears throat> first first goal was to get that get that degree in hotel and restaurant management it is there that I met my second mentor the first mentor being my dad who was a wonderful chef Okay. But he was—he only cooked for his family and friends. He used to, when I used to see him as a kid making a roasted leg of lamb, and the whole house would smell like it was some banquet going on. That's when I was impressed. That was my first hero, my cooking hero. And after that, when I got to Hilton College in uh, in Houston uh, in 1983, I met Dr. Vosky. Uh, F.H. Ted Woski was his name and he uh, for all practical purposes he was my mentor he was one of the greatest teachers and also he was a certified culinary educator he was a certified hotel administrator his resume and his de- his actual degrees were like 12 to 13 inches long wow <laughs> yes I'm, I'm not kidding you 
Dr. Woski was one of his kind. He got a gold medal from the Queen of England on just his technique of dicing onions. What What did you learn from this mentor uh, about how to be and how to present yourself and how to show up every day? I learned the basic principles of food, of quantity food production. That's what I learned from Dr. Woski. And Dr. Woski once asked me to cook at cook for him. Uh, and when I did, he he not only fell in love with what I made, but he came. Uh, he went to the dean of the school and said, "This guy's cooking skills are re- legendary." And and he will one day make a big name for himself. I'm that curious. Was, Sorry, I cut you short. Do you want to finish what you're going to say? No, I'm curious. I'm, I'm curious because I hear it all the time, and I, and I think that this that recognition is how we discover our passion, um, being good at something, and the return that we get when we do something, and when other people recognize and reinforce that behavior, right. that positive reinforcement right. is what helps us continue to show yes. up and what really. You know, fuels that fire in our gut. Do you, when you felt, when you heard him say this, did you have a different level of confidence or a different level of "I'm on the right path"? Or did that reinforce what you were doing? In any it way? just had a good. It just had a great feeling because way before that, uh, when I first made a dessert for my uncle in Pakistan, he says, "Just keep on making it for me every week. It's so good." It was a, it was a strawberry and pineapple souffle that I made. Without having any knowledge or any training whatsoever of of cooking, and then 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 there was the the incident with the with the date yeah. going to go to a um, to a restaurant to eat, and it was raining, and we couldn't go. So I said, "Let me fix something at at home, and whatever the spice rack allowed, I used, and it turned out to be phenomenal." And that's that's when those are the those are the 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 main building blocks on which I kind of built the uh, built the reputation and uh, so yes when Dr. Woski said that you know you're doing well I knew I was on, on the right track beautiful um, you said that he, he taught you quantity food production what did he teach you about uh, like personal human values or beliefs or business philosophy or business ethic anything along those lines no it was no not at all because he, he was a, he was a very devout Christian and um, so to be a good person is what he would teach me. He would sometimes take me to church and I would gladly go because basically all religions teach you good things to do. Nobody tells you to go out and kill somebody yeah. or to, to hurt somebody or to be bad to somebody. Religion is just the, the foundation of what it takes to, to get along with yes. other people. In right? society, yes. Yeah. But uh, as far as the cooking techniques, he told me that you know cooking at home Cooking for, you know, cooking for uh, residential purposes and cooking professionally in a, in a volume production, the cooking techniques change. And that was the key that, you know, everything changes. The entire process, the entire uh, steps, everything changes when you do quantity food production. And, of course, professional cooking is all about quantity food production. It's not... Um, it's not in small batches that you make things. Then you make batches, things in, in gallons. And, and 50 and 60 and 70 and 80 pounds of meat has to be cooked at the time for, you know, like for weddings or for big events. So that's, that's what I, th- 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 those are the principles I learned from him. And I, I applied them to Indian cooking. 
And when I got my bachelor's from the Hilton College, then I went uh, and worked for a year and a half, almost two years for Marriott. And working for a big corporation, I soon realized that you are just a pawn in the big game of chess. You are not actually anything. You're not a chess player. You are just a pawn there. I wanted to be the player. I wanted to be the player or, or a game changer. So I said, with what I with what basic knowledge I have of Indian Pakistani cooking is not enough. So I went and did my apprenticeship at the Intercontinental Hotel in Karachi, Pakistan. What year is this? Uh, this was 1988. Okay. Yeah, 86 is when I graduated. I I worked for two years. Uh, 80, 87, 88, almost 88, and then 88. End of 88, I went to Pakistan. I want, and, and I want to tap the brakes here real quick because you just you, you drop something on us. It's super important. This is the power of being intentional, right? And the power of having direction and knowing where you want to go and knowing what you want to do so you can make steps in your life to get you to where you're going. And yeah. you and then go to the best. Whoever's doing what it is you want to do, go to the best, learn from the best. Yes. Tie your brand to other successful brands, yes. and you will become successful. Yeah, because the Intercontinental Hotel was the only four-star hotel in Pakistan wow. at the time, and, and in Karachi. And to work for the for the to work under the chef and do an apprenticeship was very hard work. It was like getting up at five in the morning and going to bed at, at around one o'clock. In the in the morning, and then getting back after four hours of sleep, coming back to work, and that this was done. Without a single day's day off for ten months. Wow! Yeah, it's day in and day out of hard work. Absolutely, that included dish from dishwashing to all the different different areas um, of of the kitchen to work everything. You know, to be a to be working as a as a freador, as the my Spanish help calls me. Sometimes they they wanted uh, to be. A, Working at a fry station, grill station, stews, curries, and with with the word curry, I I I keep on. I I want to make one of these things clear that Americans, a lot of Americans, have the misconception that curry means the the spice curry. But I have put this on the on the on the menu of my restaurant, saying that curry is is a very universal term. It does not necessarily mean curry powder which is the spice but it, curry also means a sauce just like masala means a sauce so it's so if if somebody's saying it's a it's a chicken curry doesn't mean it is it has had chicken curry powder added uh, a curry powder added to it or goat uh, goat masala masala means a sauce goat masala goat curry which means these are cooked in a in a flavored sauce or a flavored gravy so so please This is what I want to. The, I'm learning the, right now. This the, is news the, to me. The listeners, I want. I want the listeners to understand that. I want to reiterate and reinstate my point. Curry. The use of the word curry only means a sauce or a masala. When it says curry powder, that means that the curries. And a lot of people, a lot of Americans, have an aversion to the curry powder. And they say they don't want to eat something with curry in it, and I can understand it's a it's a taste which is very alien to to a lot of people. And if it's if curry is made right, and if its curry is made with uh, with coconut in it, then it changes the flavor profile. Then everybody 
would like to have it. But if it's if, if curry is 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 made without using uh, uh, coconut milk in it or fresh coconut or coconut powder, then of course curry meant to many people, including Indians, may not have the appeal that it does. Thank you for getting into that detail. I just that was a lesson right there. I did not know the 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 level of intricacy that went into curries. Um, but you mentioned something that I want to dive into before uh, sharing that with us. Um, that you were working from. I think you said uh, it was like six a.m. five a.m. in the morning. Five a.m. to one. Four hours of sleep. Um, did for ten months, uh, not a day off. Did you ever have a moment of resentment during this time? A moment of like, what the hell am I doing? Why am I doing this? Did I make the right decision? At any time. Yes. And how did you get through that? How did you talk yourself out of that resentment? Only resentment was in, on, on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday when the, the entire world was enjoying their weekends. And you're a young guy at this yeah. time. How old are you at this time? You want to have a good time? I, I am in, my, in the sixth, just started the sixth decade of my life. So Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this was a while ago. Yeah. So um, what did you learn at this hotel? Any, any key mentors here? Um, that that really impacted who you are as a chef today. Not necessarily your ability to cook, but the man you are, uh, the values you have, the the ethic you have. See, the thing is that when they when they would cook something, it was it was just very natural to them. They it was it was in the uh, in the eight in the eighties. It was we were still in the eighties. So what has happened in the last 10-15 years all over the world because of the Food Network television, the, the profession of, of cooking has catapulted into something which we can equate to stardom. You know, chefs are, chefs are now are some sort of stars because they have been presented like that on, on radio and TV and, and different... Uh, in those days, it was just a regular thing. You have to do it this way. There is no other way to do it. You want to do it right, it, you know. Otherwise, people will reject your food, and and that fear of rejection was was more of a motivation than anything else. Yeah. So, so in the last 10, 15 years, like chef from India, Sanjeev Kapoor, is big is responsible in a big way to bring uh, the chef and and its its star qualities to Indian and Pakistani cooking. He is from India, but but I would also say India and Pakistan is part of the same region. They were the same country till 1947, and the food is very very similar, uh, and yet different, but very 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 similar. We use the same spices. The techniques are a bit different. The levels of intensity are different. The some of the cooking methods are different, but all in all, they are still we we use ginger, garlic, cumin, coriander, garam masala. We have different versions of garam masala. Garam masala is an amalgamation of different whole spices, which includes cumin, coriander, uh, cinnamon, black cardamom, green cardamom, mustards, nutmeg, mace. And the, the, the list of Indian spices is endless. This is awesome. I did not know we were going to be getting uh, a history and a, a deep lesson on uh, Indian and Pakistani food today. But, and this is what I am most proud of is I belong to Indian and Pakistani cooking, which has the greatest variety of any other cuisine in the world. A lot of, lot of cuisines are basically salt, pepper, ginger, garlic, cumin at the most, and paprika or 
if you want to become more exotic smoke paprika or you know uh, I, I'd be proud of that too yeah. the, the more ingredients you get the more complicated yeah. it gets and also basil basil is very uh, very much used in American cooking and basil also is used in Indian cooking it's called tulsi uh, then we have uh, the variety of each like I'll give you an example of mustard Mustard seeds. There are black mustard seeds, brown mustard seeds, white mustard <laughs> seeds, yellow mustard seeds. So just just among mustard seeds, you have so many different varieties. And then cardamom, same thing: white cardamom, wow. green cardamom, yellow cardamom, black cardamom. Uh, different kinds of mace, different kinds of cinnamon. Cinnamon is also different. There is different cinnamon type of cinnamons in different regions of India. Wow, it's bay cool. leaf. <laughs> bay leaf is also different, which we call tej patta. Bay leaf. Bay leaf is, is different in different parts of India. You've definitely spiked my interest. I want to learn more about this amazing cuisine that you so well uh, represent. Uh, but let's get back to the, these mentors, uh, these people, these lessons. So you said 10 months in uh, Pakistan learning at this four-star uh, hotel. Uh, why only 10 months? Uh, was that the agreement? Uh, were you expecting to stay longer? Uh, when did you know it was time to come back to the States? You know, I had given myself a year, but uh, my, my dad took seriously ill and, oh, no. and I had to come back. Okay. I had to come back to the States. So that was one of the reasons. Otherwise, it would have been a... a Two to another four months. It, the basically uh, the apprenticeship is between twelve and fourteen months. But the most heartening thing was that the person who I worked under said, "In ten months, you have we have abused you enough, we, and you have learned enough that you can still get away with it." Awesome. And so that was a big vote of confidence from a from a chef who was. A very great chef, but but with no recognition because in those days there was, there was, there was no television, no 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 star, no network, no nothing to, and the whole profession was not as recognized as it is all over the world today. So when you came back, that's when you got your masters, right? That's when I got my masters, and then when I got my masters, I I went and worked for Western Hotels. I was I was employment manager for Western Hotels, and I. Would would do training in food and beverage, and uh, that was a you know employment manager for for a hotel, for the Western Oaks and Western Galleria, which had total of twelve hundred employees. So you can imagine we were rocking and rolling every single day. You were talking about getting getting high and unstoppable. It was nonstop from the time I I came to work till the time I left. How, how many years were you there when you left? About two and a half years, and then uh, I was, I was uh, swayed by the uh, my boss at the Ritz Carlton, and he said Ritz Carlton is much more prestigious than the Western uh, hotels. You come and work for us. We're going to give you more money, and this and that and the other. So I went there and I worked, and after after working there for almost over two years, I said, "This is it." I'm still, you know, where, where at the Ritz Carlton you were, you were supposed to learn the credo, and you were supposed to recite a credo when anybody in the, ho- in the in the hotel or the in the executive committee of the hotel can ask you, can stop you and say, well, because I was one step below the executive level, 
because they had all these these levels of of you know hierarchy of of you know people that worked there so they said you have to recite the creed i said you know it's okay i mean it's good it's it's good to have a company philosophy it's good to live by that but but it, it, i felt it to be a bit too childish and monotonous to to learn the credo and make other people learn the credo and say okay i couldn't bring myself and then there was no creativity in food and beverage whatever came from corporate you do this thing and you do do that thing and and the person sitting in the glass office in atlanta didn't know his ass from a you know what <laughs> uh, from a hole in the ground as what you would say but i said no i i don't want to conform myself to this this is no i want to be a I want to be able to create things I want to be able to have uh, something which has my name on it a dish that people will know me for and then I re- I would re- I would read a chapter of one one of my textbooks in 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 the hospitality business my first text introduction to hospitality and I kept on reading Colonel Sanders uh uh chapter on Colonel Sanders of how he became so successful and how he made a name for himself and how all over america his the kentucky fried chicken is so so well known i said i may not want to be colonel sanders but i want to be able to do at least one dish that will people me, will remember me by when i kick the bucket so we got to dive into that um what what did you learn from colonel sanders what, what what stuck with you from that story that you that you leveraged throughout your life not much the only thing that i wanted was i was wanted to emulate that one dish his dish was his his fried chicken and i my dish became the green curry chicken the hara masala chicken which you i think you tried yes, yesterday yes it was delicious it's- yeah and that became that became my my signature item i still want to do one or two or three things more which for which i will be remembered you know so i think the lesson there is to do one thing better than everybody else and and, and tie your name become a specialist um and then when, when somebody wants that one thing they know who to go to to get it yes. um it's like a doctor being a specialist or yes. a, a lawyer being a specialist yes. when people want the best they'll, they'll know who to go to and they'll pay almost anything to get it right yeah. um so it, it sounds and I'm, i'm with all due respect it sounds very very egotistical but you have to have a big ego to be a successful <laughs> chef if you don't have if you don't have that you will not be ambitious you have to have a, some sort of an ego to be ambitious mm. and that's why i i hope nobody who, among my listeners thinks that i'm i'm blowing my own horn or being pompous or you know shallow or cocky but the thing is that i i sincerely want this this makes gives me great joy when somebody says oh that man that is good oh oh boy that that tastes good i will be back mm. that is what i want to hear this is what that is my biggest uh, prize that is my biggest achievement I that is, that gives me the ambition to do more for people and and to put a put a smile on their face to make the to put the, make their tummy happy you know i love it and i think it's one of those things as humans it's one of those things we need recognition we need to be seen we need to be recognized we need to be valued for something and that's one of those things that most humans need unless you have some kind of weird psychological issue going on you don't need that thing but we need that recognition we need that it's what drives us uh so it sounds like you had a lot of 
negative experiences uh, early on in your career working for these hotels because it wasn't a right fit for you. But were there any positive experiences, any key people that no, had no. a good good impact on you? Yeah, I, I would not call these negative experiences, okay. except that I was the, the rebel. I, w- I was not willing to conform to, you know, you know corp- this has come from corporate. You do it. You do this, and you fit into this hole, and that's it. You know. There must be some good things you picked up working in that corporate environment. Of course, regarding of course, lot of good structure things. in lot of good things. Training and development is something that I picked up every every place that I worked, and I was a part of. I, I was a huge part of training and development at the at the Western Hotels. Uh, in fact, the, the 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 training and development manager uh, who was who was hired with $40,000 a year more than I was making was a school teacher who, who I don't know how she got the job and she had never worked in the hotel business and yet she got the job and yet I was the one who, who put in the training program in place and because I had the, the, the practical work experience. So I, was, I learned a lot from those things. I mean... Uh, Marriott, of course, Marriott has a very structured management training program, which is so. I never had any negative experience. Everything was positive. All 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 these things, these things, contributed to my success today. What if you can narrow it down to one single thing that had the biggest impact on you and helped form who you are today during these formative years for you? Uh, what was the biggest impact? The the most formative experience you had during this come up working in these hotels in this, this corporate setting that set you up for success the importance number one the importance of, of training and development the importance of, of building partnerships because you couldn't get anything done unless you had people that you would uh, uh, that would form a support system for you because you can do a, you want to do a lot of things but if you don't do it uh, with the support of other people you will you will not be able to succeed how do you get the support of other people how do you build those for that i will tell you because you haven't asked me that one question which is the one book that i would recommend oh, we'll get for there. every <laughs> single person in the hospitality business and that is the book is called The Human Side of Enterprise. It's by Douglas McGregor, written in 1960. Wow. Which is, what, 59 years ago. Mm. But the principles still apply. And if we apply it the right way, all modern-day management theory is built upon all of that. What was the biggest lesson that book taught you? To build partnerships and to get work through people, not at their expense. Say that one more time for me. To get, uh, to get work, management is the art and science of getting done, of getting things done through people, not at their expense. It, but through, but by building partnerships, by working build- through people, not at their expense. Yeah. and that. the man- management is an art and a science. It's both. It's not just art. It's not just science. It's the art and science of getting things done. Through people, not it. at their expense, but through people. Man, I love it. So we got to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We're going to come right back and we're going to start talking about how you opened your first business in 1993. 
Did you know the National Restaurant Association states that losses due to fraud at a restaurant run around 4% of sales? That's like an annual marketing budget. Workplace harassment, discrimination, misconduct, theft, and fraud can all have devastating impact on a restaurant's profitability, public image, and result in legal liability. But how do you respond to and mitigate risk if an incident goes unreported internally before it becomes public? Ethics Suite provides a line of communication between you and your staff, allowing you to stay informed and respond to incidents rapidly and privately. With Ethics Suite, your employees can easily report suspicious activity or potentially unethical behavior from any device anywhere and employees can also submit reports completely anonymously if they so choose safeguarding your business starts by listening to your employees it's that simple find out why ethics suite is the leading anonymous reporting system for any restaurant in the industry head over to ethicsuite.com slash restaurant unstoppable all right, we are back, and uh, now it's 1993. You've decided to tell the corporations to take a hike, and you want to be creative. You want to do your own thing. You don't want to be under the, the fingernail or the thumb of the corporation. Yes. So how did you break away, and what was your plan to do your own thing? I had $1,100 in the bank to show as my life savings in 1993. How much? $1,100, okay. Okay, which was nothing. Even in those days, it was nothing to start a business. But here there was a, there was a restaurant that had just uh, gone to a bigger location and they left. They just threw the keys and, and left. So the biggest expense in a restaurant is a grease trap and a hood, which costs uh, a good eighty, ninety thousand dollars $90,000 in those days. More than 1100 Yeah. <laughs> so, but those, were, those are two things that were in place. All I had to do was get some basic 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 stuff basic supplies and start so the lesson there is try to be um, somebody's exit strategy or go into a turnkey operation if you can take over a lease or uh, make a smooth transaction yes. if you don't have to start from scratch yeah uh, so what was the deal where you said they were just going they had outgrown their space and they were going on to new yeah, space. they had gone on to open a bigger place and then this was this was everything was in place the hood, the grease trap. So we had to cook, bring in cooking equipment, work tables, knives, and that's about it. Okay. And then supplies. How and did you so, find this opportunity? So when I, the per, the person that went to the bigger place was was known to me as as a caterer in the Indian Pakistani community, and so when I when I found out, I I talked to the landlord. The landlord was kind. And said, "Yeah, you can you can come. The rent was like four hundred dollars a month, which was <laughs> nothing <laughs> compared to today's things. Yeah, yeah. And that was uh, nine hundred square feet of of total space. So I had like eleven chairs, total eleven chairs in the restaurant, and most of my food was takeout, and and catering for weddings and parties and and functions and 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 you know holidays and." You know. So I gotta, I have to imagine in 1993-94, um, there weren't too many Indian specialists catering at that time. None. So almost, almost negligibly. So again, going back to the power of finding a niche and doing one thing better than everybody else, you're coming to the city of Houston, and there's no competition. You're the only one. Um, so I'm imagining if if there is anybody with Indian or Pakistani background who's having a wedding or um, anything like you're going to be the person to go to 
was that part of your plan yes. at being the specialist being the, 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 yes. the number one and that's the reason some friends who believed in my cooking talent and who were way uh, way more wealthier than poor me they gave me somebody gave me some friend gave me three thousand some gave me four thousand five thousand six thousand seven thousand so with like total of seventeen thousand dollars I started that business all of these those friends were paid in three years time they were paid they did not ask me for a penny of interest but but of course I did their some a lot of their caterings for free in return for the money that they lent me there's a lesson there too yeah. I mean even though people don't ask for anything back um, I mean that's how the world works you know like you got my back I got your back and I'm sure that the favors continue to go back and forth between these friends there on after. Yes, there were some very nice people, some very good people that that believed in me, that that knew that this guy will make it, and so they gave me that opportunity. They gave me, they lent me the money, and so the same thing happened. And from 1993, I started that place, and I was very very successful till 2003. In 2003. The demographics changed a lot of... By that time, every single person and their brother had jumped into the field of catering. There were so many options. So I was like, you know... I was only sought after by, by people who knew that if we want to have good quality, we'll go to him, to Kaiser. And, if, if some, and most people uh, that I was catering to were not very affluent people. They were, they were, they themselves were employees of some some place, so they were not businessmen or businesswomen that could, you know, freely spend money on their their lives functions. So by that time, the business had taken a nosedive because the the uh, I was right next to a very very redneck bar, my my restaurant, and they would enforce parking and we had very limited parking and I was really really bullied by everybody in that bar to, to just leave from there I I withstood all of that and after I was good and ready I said okay now I'm ready to make a move and again you won't, you won't believe it but the same people gave me Twice or, or in some in one or two instances, three times more money that they gave me ten or twelve years ago, and they said, "Here, you open the biggest biggest place you can possibly do." And so this time, almost uh, seventy eight thousand dollars were needed to open Himalaya. So in two thousand four, I came to Hillcroft, which is the heart of where Indian and Pakistani restaurants are. Where heart of where people who are living all over Houston will still come to Hillcroft for for food and for clothing and for buying so stuff. So say there's a retail store right next door, an Indian right. uh, clothing I saw yes. when I was when I was yeah. leaving. That place, that strip is called Little India, and it, it, there is a lot. There there are video cassette shops. There are CD players, uh, Indian music, uh, Indian clothing, Indian jewelry, a lot of Indian spices groceries so I, I selected that place in 2004 again I was lucky this was a failed Colombian restaurant I picked it up opened the restaurant the re never looked back from that day onwards because my people followed me they said 
we we told you we wanted to sit and eat your food we could never bring a, a lot of a big family because you only had 11 seats it's never the same when you when you're taking out indian food some of it you know you have to things don't transport well all yeah. the time so but that has dramatically changed because my spouse who is my uh uh who is responsible in a very big way for my success she makes even the to go food she has her own way of doing it of of preparing the uh, the the garnish and and packing it in a way when people come and come home and open it it's like still hot fresh and and worth eating beautiful so there's a few things that i picked up just listening to you talk and i think the 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 it factor that you have is this ability to get people behind you to want to see you become successful they'll throw money at you to see your dreams come true so what is it what, what is it about you that makes people want to invest in or i don't even know if they weren't even getting a return they were just giving you the money how did you how did you develop these relationships and what can we do to kind of emulate uh the the power of the relationships that you've created in your life because see they've they've seen me struggle they've seen me struggle and in in spite and despite all of the uh, competition i never compromised on the quality of the food the quality of the food was top notch it was second to none and that's what the thing that they appreciated the so, most so sacrifice and work ethic and dedication to the the craft yes and 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 in the, the universe will pay when you show up when you put the work in and you do it right um uh, and over, like it will be in mysterious ways you never know where it's going to come from but if you show up right and for you it was from your friends that the one to see you become successful because if my food went to a party and there were like eight or nine people that knew who who the food was from and then there were like 30 or 40 or 50 people that didn't know where the food came from they asked they said where is this good food come from who did you hire as a caterer and they said you know it came from himalaya which used to be kaisers uh the previous place was called kaisers okay so so yeah so okay. they then i started building the customer base and when when anthony bourdain came to the restaurant what year was know, that it was a year almost two years to the day he died uh it was 2016 i believe mm-hmm. uh and when he picked this restaurant out of all the thousands and thousands of restaurants in 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 Houston he picked this my restaurant and one other restaurant that was after that day i've never looked back after that day it gave a huge uh uh impetus to the business but the the first impetus the first the very first time that the restaurant got recognition all over Houston was an article by a James Beard award winning journalist Miss Allison Cook I'm sure you're familiar with her name um, yes I have she's a very highly name. respected food critic of Houston she wrote an article chef lashkari my hero <laughs> and she after that that was the that was the first brick that was laid in the in the in the legacy of himalaya that mm. will be remembered that 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 put himalaya on the face of houston's map food Beautiful. map so one other thing i want to dive into um is was your ability to keep face when you were at this original location and and the 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 bar people were pushing you out um, oh you you will be surprised they 
they, they put glue in my front door. They broke all the glasses. They scratched my car. What was car. going on here? What was this? What was because the I was enforcing. I, I had three parking spaces. They wanted to take up all of the parking spaces. And, and I said, how will I, how, where will my customers park? If I, I will have no business if I, if, I, if I do that. So the landlord gave me the permission to paint reserved for, for Kaisers. Yeah. yeah, Kaisers at the time. And that's when they got all out of bent out of shape because they said no, it, it's free park. It should be free parking for everybody. When they acted outrageously, uh, how did how did you react? Did you meet them where they were at, or did you take? The I had full route? faith in God. I said, "As you sow, so shall you reap." I will just keep my nose to the grind and keep on doing what I do, and let because you know the karma is a bee. You know that, right? Yeah. So, so so that's what happened eventually. Yeah. Beautiful. I just wanted to put the emphasis on that—the yeah. the power of taking the high road and how yeah. that will end up if you have that faith, if you if you have that discipline. Very, to, it was to not it was sink tor- to the same level. It right? was very tormenting. Yeah. It was very tormenting. It was you know a one surprise after another every day, and I just had to stand firm, st- stand tall and firm. That's Beautiful. all. Uh, and you have to in life if you want to achieve something, you 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 take your stand and you you stick to it. And then let God intervene with his divine plan. I love it. So it's hard to believe we're already at 46 minutes of recording time. It goes by so fast. I want to leave you some time to talk about anything that is near and dear to your heart as far as what you know to be true about your success as a businessman and what we can learn from you. Anything that we haven't discussed up to this point that you think is a huge contribution to who you are and the success you've had. See, that, and this is... This will sound like an effort in self-aggrandizement, but I, it's not. In order to be able to to have the kind of success that we've had, there has to be some madness about you. You have to be literally, deeply, passionately, and totally in love with this business. There is no halfway measures about this. You ca- in Indian and Pakistani food. There are no subtle flavors. When when somebody says, you know, this this wine snobbery about, you know, doing this and saying, oh, it's subtle flavor, subtle flavor, my, you know what. But uh, I don't think in subtle, subtle flavor means I'm a little bit pregnant. You can't be a little bit pregnant. Either you are or you're not. Either there is flavor in some food or there is no flavor. Either it's robust flavor, and I always believe in creating robust flavors that your palate will recognize. Mm. So as long as you create those flavors, as long as you do something which is, which people will think it's tasty, you're on the right track. Yeah. And you, it's funny you mentioned that, that they're, they're, to be successful in this industry, you need a certain level of madness. And a lot of people that try to get into this industry, um, I, I try to warn them that it's not necessarily healthy to try to be successful in this industry because unless you have that madness that deep passion that unwavering desire to be the best and sometimes it's unhealthy to you know not everybody you know they have a certain like a, a doctor might say they're, 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 not, they're not right you know what I'm saying and we I don't know if we should always try to replicate some of this madness because it will it will drive us mad too trying to achieve 
the the level of success that mad people have because they're completely obsessed with the craft. Not to be rude, or I'm not saying you're a madman, but you know what I'm saying, right? What do you feel about oh, that? I, you, my wife calls me worse <laughs> than that, but, but that, that 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 we'll talk some some other day. <laughs> yeah, but what, you, what am I saying? Is what am I? What I'm, is what I'm saying ringing true with you, or that we should ne- not necessarily try to uh, recreate what these these extremists have created in their lives? Is it reasonable to try to recreate that? No, what I feel is either you. you you have in order for people to be in this business they have to have this passion it has to this whole business has to be under, inside your system it it has to go, get under your skin and it has to you know you have to breathe it you have to you have to swallow it breathe it drink it digest it all that it has to be inside you it if it's not then if you don't have then even then you can work very hard and be successful but you will be moderately successful but if you want to have an extraordinary amount of success you have to put in extraordinary amount of effort and when you put that extra extraordinary amount of effort believe me believe me god never sleeps you know this is not a pulpit this is not sunday this is not a sermon but i'm a great believer and i'm not a religious person either but i will i will tell you that if you work hard God will will reward you. It's the universe, whatever you call it, yes. you know, the, the it's a very dynamic world we live in and it's reactive. It will react to what you put into it. You also, will get out what you put in. Also, one more thing that I want to tell aspiring people is that you have to have you have to be physically and mentally resilient and have the ability to absorb stress and pressure and have you know not only physical but mental both physical stress and mental stress you have to have both and you have to be very strong physically and mentally and be able to withstand all of the jolts that this business will give you how do you um maintain your mental strength or how do what do you what things do you do to stay to stay mentally strong talk to god I mean, it, it sounds childish. It's meditation. But, yeah. But, I mean, but people call have, it different things. Have a conversation with God and, and believe me, he listens. What's that conversation look like? Not to get too personal, but... We'll um, just talk like you're talking to somebody, to a supreme being, to a, to a power where you, where you just... Uh, where you are, you know... Uh, where you seek guidance also. You know, she said, you know, I'm leaving this in your hands, God. I've tried everything to salvage, suppose, to salvage this employee, you know, like who's giving me a very hard time, whom I have invested in such a long time, who, has, who I have trained in, and now for some odd reason, for some personal reason, he's, he's, he's off his rocker, he doesn't perform, he doesn't produce as well. The, the biggest, biggest thing is when you are at work, stay away from the dam, Facebook and, and, and cell phone. <laughs> Stay, cell phone means you don't become a victim of the cell phone and, and don't, don't be uh, you know, on the Facebook that much. When, you, when you're working, you're working. I had for a long time, two, three years ago, I was so frustrated with a lot of my workers using the cell phone and, and going crazy you know, with, with Facebook and you know, talking to, the, to women and, and you know, having those uh, inbox messages and all of that. So I, dec- I looked at the internet and I said, 
this is a this is a machine that is made in China, which will jam the signals of the phone, cell phone. Later, I found out that it's illegal to have that machine. <laughs> okay, so I said no, I, I cannot buy that machine. But what? And also, the biggest thing was, uh, if I jam the signals, nobody else can use the Wi-Fi in the restaurant. Yeah, and people might not come to your restaurant. And, there's and no not only that, but the neighbors will also not yeah. be able to use that in <laughs> internet. So I said I'll be opening a, a can of worms, otherwise. Otherwise, I was very close to buying that five, six hundred dollars machine made in China <laughs> that would have jammed the signals and and took people off from their cell phones. But slowly and surely, with the help of my wife, we we did a lot of things for the employees and tried to explain to them. Took them on a picnic funds, took them for 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 uh, for lunches and some parties on their day off, and and kind of slowly, slowly, slowly. Um, indirectly say that you know this is affecting your productivity this is affecting your product performance and and if if your performance goes down the restaurant's quality will go down and if the restaurant's quality goes down you eventually will suffer because we'll have to cut hours and if we cut hours you will you will lose money and so it will you know we showed them that how that ripple effect works and and lo and behold yes it made it started making sense to some people but 2 3 years ago i had the time of my life I, with 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 uh, with all of this the the so cell the cell phone all over all over the world has 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 uh, compromised the the productivity it isolates people it isolates we used to be connected in uh, present with one another and now we're all in our own little worlds like yeah. literally even yeah. with headphones yes. and like it's not even like in our, our our FaceTime where our eyes are but where our ears are and we're all in our own little bubbles right um, there's a lot of pros to that there's a lot of pros of being able to access any inf- any information at any time on any topic but we're all in our own little bubbles our own world and we don't know how to be social anymore we don't know how to ask and, and communicate and, and interact with each other anymore it's, true it's having a big impact um so what what did you do to without using this technology that would have blocked all the signals to create a culture within your restaurant not to look at your phone as i said i i you know i i took them out for picnics employee picnics yeah. i took them out for for lunch buffets on their day off took them out for you know uh found a place where they can play volleyball and then after that have some drinks you know so you create an, an environment where they wouldn't be yeah, able to and use then it. i would i would make these little two two minute speeches you know during those uh, outings and tell them that they, you know we really want them we, they are the reason why we are you know we are in business because if they don't if they don't work effectively the whole restaurant suffers the quality of the food that comes out suffers so you give before you ask you 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 bring them out you give them an experience there is no other way yeah. there is no other way you can't because what is their motivation they'll say you are the owner you make all the money what is where is this what is the motivation for us so the motivation was give them 3 hours off some day paid time you know go and do what you like for awesome. 3 hours Chef Kaiser, I've loved this conversation. There's been a ton of value in it. We got a whole lesson on uh, Indian cuisine too, which was unexpected and greatly appreciated. Uh, but one question I want to start asking all my guests before we uh, move on to the speed round is how have you transformed? The whole mission of this podcast, the mission statement is to inspire, empower and transform the industry by making an example of people like you. So who ha- or how have you transformed over the years? Who who were you the, the man in uh, what was it 1980 991 where you're getting involved in this industry to the compared to the man you are today. See the thing that has given me the biggest joy and wh- what I have uh what I have come to uh 
offer is in addition to Indian and preparing Indian and Pakistani food. Now I have fusion food. One of my one of my friends and a, a, a writer, a very well-known writer, Mr. Eric Sandler, he asked me one time, says, Chef, why don't you do a fried chicken? I said, yes, in our, in our culture there is a fried chicken, but, uh, but that will be very spicy. He says, why don't you just try, give your version? And we tried and, and it was highly, highly appreciated. It was appreciated by a lot of people, old old school people who, who grew up eating fried chicken. He says, you've hooked us on to this fried chicken. So the next step was another friend, a, chef, a fellow chef, Alvin Schultz said, chef, why don't you do a chicken fried steak? And after that, it just, just catapulted into different... Then we did a masala meatloaf, a masala chicken and dumplings, a mas- masala crawfish etouffee, a masala pot roast... Um, so, a masala calzone and, and on Ooh, all kinds. You kind got me at calzone. <laughs> That's my weakness okay, right there. I got all kinds of things. Then, then we, then we have like 30, 40 things that we started developing and doing. You so know? you've transformed by um, fusion, creating fusion dishes, being more receptive to try new things. Uh, how do you? How would you par- paraphrase that transformation? How have you, as a person, transformed? How has this transformed your business? I think I've become a better chef. That's all, mm. you know. So, okay, creative you know. freedom, huh? Creative freedom. Creative freedom. I love it. This has been a great conversation. One more quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back to bust out a speed round. It's the entrepreneurial myth, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's the idea that when you open your own restaurant, life is going to get easy because you get to do exactly what it is that you love, whether that's front of house or back of house. And then reality kicks in, right? You've got to do all this other stuff that comes with owning a business like taxes, HR, payroll, really boring stuff. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, HR actually easy for small business. And if you want to add on 401k or health benefits, it's a breeze. Those old school clunky payroll providers just were not built for the modern small business. Not to mention, you, you've got to compete with the big guys. But how do you compete with the big guys when you don't have big guy bucks? Well, with Gusto. That's how. Get back to doing what it is you love and let Gusto handle the rest. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll get your first three months free when you run your first payroll. That's Gusto.com slash Unstoppable. Again, Gusto.com slash Unstoppable. Cake makes it easy. Thousands of restaurant operators are using Cake POS and loving it. With its easy, simple to use, and intuitive interface, how could you not? Cake users are achieving peak satisfaction with 24-7 customer support, not to mention lifetime access to Cake University. No wonder customer satisfaction scores are so high. Everything about Cake is simple, including its POS integration with Cake Guest Manager and Google Reservations, which basically allows your guests to book reservations reservations or get on wait lists straight from Google search or Google maps. That's pretty rad. This simple integration alone has increased guest count by as much as 25%. To learn more about how cake makes it easy, head over to trycake.com slash unstoppable. And because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners, you can save $750 off activation for cake point of sale. But you have to use my links again. That's trycake.com slash unstoppable. 
We're back, and the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Never quit. Never quit. What is your Tenacity. Biggest, tenacity. What is your biggest weakness? Impatience with mediocrity. Oh, I love it. What is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? For, for a prospective employee, it's, it's an energy level, their energy level, and their body language. I love it. What is one of your biggest challenges today, right now? To have longevity in the, in the staff because the staff is like, you know. Retaining your staff. To retain the staff is a very big, not only for myself, but for, for the industry at large. What are you doing to handle that challenge? Be the best damn boss I can, but at the same time, not not compromise on 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 uh, on, on factors that would affect my uh, adversely affect my business. How do you be the best damn boss you can be? Sincerity, be I sincere. I love it because sin- like like uh, cream will always rise to the top. Sincerity will always be will always surface. You know what? And it's it's my it's. It's my personal uh, experience that the more sincere and honest you are, the easier it is to exist in this world because you don't have to keep all these lies and secrets stacked up in your head and keep them all strong. It's just a freedom. And also, also, most important thing in that is actions speak louder than words. You, you, can, you can use all these high-faluting phrases. You can, you can be sugary sweet. You can, you can uh, uh, weave a web of lies and, and, and deception by, by your words. I can be very eloquent. But, but if, if, my, if my, my walk doesn't match my talk and, and vice versa, then, then people will see through it that this is, this is a sham. So that's why sincerity, they will know. They will, if they call me at 3 o'clock in the morning and say, Kaiser, I'm sick, take me to the doctor, I will take them in a heartbeat. But if they say that, you know, come and see me at, the, at, at this apartment, I need some money because I have to be at the Mexican consulate, I know they're drinking. Mm. There's some, some <laughs> <laughs> so you know. I mean, I know yeah. when they are when they have a serious issue, they always come to me, and I always come through for them. I love it. Great stuff. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team, a core value, a way to be. Coming to work on time is very important for me. That's one of my pet peeves. And uh, while while working, be be the best you can. Don't be looking at your phone. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I'm looking for a blender that would blend all phones permanently. <laughs> Share one uncommon standard of service you teach your staff. This is a way to go above and beyond what's expected from the guest. Common within your four walls, not within the industry. Knowledge. Knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. Knowledge about the food. And, and you know, the main thing I say, I tell everybody, and I follow that to the T is... I, I learn from my, my, my co-workers, my superiors, and my subordinates everywhere. And I consider the people who, have, who, are, who show up and who are my core team, I consider them to be my superiors because they are, they, I create the recipes, but they execute it. So I, I consider them to be more uh, a step up o- over me because that's how I want to treat them and that's how I do treat them mm. because if I don't teach if I don't treat them right it won't it, it will not 
they will not perform to the way I want them to. Great stuff. And you already kind of answered this question, but I'll ask it again to put some emphasis on the answer. Uh, what is one book that's a must-read to make us a better person or a restaurant owner? The Human Side of Enterprise by Douglas McGregor. What is the be- the biggest lesson you pulled from that book? Get work done through people, not at their little, expense. Again, emphasis yeah. the on the art answer. and science of getting management is the art and science of getting things done through people, not at their expense. I love it. What is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Training and development. Also, when hiring, not making sure checking references cross references and making sure because half the half the battle is won right there if we don't make a mistake in hire if it's, if the person is not a good match for for your uh, for your establishment and you you still hire them because you're frustrated and you're you don't have anybody else that's the biggest mistake you will make because that person will will co- eventually end up leaving the job and will be non productive what is one piece of technology? I know you're not really the technology kind, but what is one piece of technology you've adopted within your businesses that has had a huge impact on operations? Is there one? Technology in what sense? Um, oh, any yeah, system, a process, procedure. I mean, I like to think of like tech, like electronic or any newer technology. No, that has I am an always, I am always, I am always open to new equipment. Equipment that will that will enhance productivity without compromising quality. What's one piece of equipment that you're using right now that you would put your name on? Uh, a VCM. A VCM. Yeah, it's, it's called a vertical cutter mixer because what it does is is it cuts, chops, blends. Who makes it? Uh, I just want to be able to link back to it somewhere in the show notes. Vertical cutter mixer is made by quite a few companies but Hobart makes a good one okay yeah. maybe Hobart's here I'll go talk to him afterwards okay. at the, or, by the way I don't think I mentioned it during this episode we're at the uh, TRA marketplace that's all the the chatter you guys can hear uh, in the background they're nice enough to let me record right here on stage and they've connected me with some really great people so thank, thank you, you thank to you. the Texas restaurant thank you for your uh, for your time oh I love it thank this you. is this is what I love to do so this is the last question it's a doozy are you ready for it okay if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom, three things you could leave behind for your legacy, what would those three things be? Never quit. Never take shortcuts. And always be sincere. I love it. Chef Kaiser, this has been a great conversation. Uh, I've enjoyed every moment of it. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who is one independent restaurant operator owner that you respect and admire and believe would make a great guest mentor like you've made for us today? Hugo Ortega. Hugo, look out. I'm coming after you. I just talked to his wife. Uh, it was a good conversation. Absolutely great guy. Oh, Hugo, is he behind me? Are you looking at right? No? I thought maybe you were looking at him for a Humble. Second. Humble and, and great, all rolled into one. I'd love to get him on the show. Hugo, look out. I'm coming after you. And let the folks at home know, how can we connect with you if we want to come join your team and learn from you? If, if we have a passion for Indian food and we want to, we want to learn from the best. The day, the day I retire, I'm going to have a cooking school. Okay. Yeah. So, Is there um, any way we can get on an email list to make sure yes, we know when that school starts? Absolutely. Just keep in touch with me on Facebook. And and I will announce. I'll I'll link to your Facebook yeah. page. But according to my wife, I think she she says I will come to work on a wheel in a wheelchair and never <laughs> retire. 
So let's see. I will link to uh, your website okay. and your Facebook page in thank the show you. notes. Uh, thank you so much. And Chef thank you, listeners. And thank you, sir, for giving me the opportunity to say my piece. It's my pleasure. Thank and there you. is no question. Thank you. You are. And God bless America. <laughs> yes, sir. Cheers. All right, there we go. Another episode in the archive here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you all found value. Before I let you go, I have to remind you, please sign up for the Restaurant Unstoppable email list. That is where you will never miss an episode and you get the behind the scenes of what's going on here, where I'm at, what's on my mind, and what the future of Restaurant Unstoppable looks like, and you can have an influence on that. Don't forget to connect on social media. That's slash Restaurant Unstoppable on Facebook and at Eric Cacciatore, E-R-I-C-C. A-C-C-I-A-T-O-R-E on Instagram. But the most important thing you can do to support this mission of inspiring, empowering, and transforming our industry is by sharing this sucker with anybody and everybody you know who's aspiring to be great in the industry. All right. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.